Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed boost pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Chris Sinclair, joined by my co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison, on a day where everything's beautiful. There are rainbows, there's rain, uh, fine dining's uh dead or something like that and we're all just here to uh live in the light of you know mediocre cocktails and fucking lovely uh lovely times i don't know whatever who cares anyway drew hi guy how are you i just like i love watching your reactions just makes me happy i just i don't know what i was expecting like you're having a good day and so i was expecting you to go like way more positive and then you no 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 at all i'm far too old and jaded for that yeah no that that is that is such a sad reality of our industry (laughs) at times um but you know what again i i'm we're going to continue to to beat the drum for change and um we have some ideas coming up of of uh some shows that we want to do where we're going to start highlighting some really positive stuff and things that i feel like in our industry you know, one of the things is like we let a lot of kind of bad actors get away with a lot of stuff and we don't say anything. But then we also don't let we also don't prop up like people who are doing like good business and good for their employees and things like that. So I think we just need to be more vocal on all fronts. Right. Like, let's. Yeah. Let's I celebrate no problem being loud. Yeah. Let's celebrate the good. Let's let's amplify that as much as possible. But let's also take care of some of these bad actors and, and get them get them out of here um because i just feel like we far too often we have that conversation it's like so man they got another opportunity it's like yeah and the same thing happened it was just i like, have no idea what you're talking about but at the same point in time i know all of what you're talking about yeah i just That's apply great. it to whatever situation right so um but you know either way i'm excited to be here uh we're back into the swing of things we got a couple couple episodes underneath our belts for this season. We've had some really, really great guests so far. The numbers are bearing that out as well. So thank you to all of our listeners that that tune in and continue to make us want to do this thing, which, again, uh, is really just an excuse for me to talk to people who I think are rad. Um, but then it sounds like people also want to hear those conversations, which is which is amazing. So Yeah, so I mean, thank you. also, what's wrong with you all? That's yeah, fine. well, there's that. Well, I mean, again, I think it's I think it's the guest, and and tonight we're gonna keep that we're gonna keep that momentum going. We're gonna we're, we brought in another hitter, another great guest, uh, someone who I've been wanting to have a conversation with for so many years, and which is why this a person of like you know why this podcast exists because I think if I just approached her outside, I was just like, I just want to talk to you. She'd be like, what is happening right now? But like when you put it like for a podcast, you're like, oh, this is suddenly way safer. Um, you know what's funny so- funny that you say that? I'm gonna I'm gonna put you off onto a tangent really quick. I met someone probably about seven years ago that a friend of ours had been uh meaning to introduce us. And and for probably about a year or two prior, they were like, hey, you really need to meet this person like you would love this person. And then when I met the person, I was like, yo, this person said that we should meet and get to know each other. And then she was very weirded out by it. And and ever since then, like we haven't talked or anything like that, because 
It was a really you bad haven't experience. bounced back from that initial experience. Not even a little bit. She was like, ah, this is so <laughs> strange. I'm not doing any of this. But in this conversation, five years of doing this, literally everybody we've had on has been like, yeah, let's do that again. That's been great. Well, we'll see. I mean, there's still plenty of opportunity. <laughs> uh, yeah, like it's it's like any any good restaurants. It's easy to get people in the first time. It's a lot harder to get them to come back the second time. So, That's fair. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But our anyway, guest tonight. Continue. Um, she is a, an agave educator. She's an agave writer. She is the author. I'm going to hold it up for the video that we don't release to people of the essential tequila and Mezcal Companion, our guest tonight, Tess Rose Lampert. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you tell us what you're sipping on, because I'm sure it's something cool, because all you do is drink cool things, and then tell our guests a little bit about, or tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and all that fun stuff. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, super happy to be here on the podcast with you guys. Um so, and also for anyone listening, if you do want to approach me and talk to me about agave stuff, I'm generally like very open to that. Um, <laughs> just if you're out there wondering. Um, so tonight I'm sipping on my homemade green mezcal. Uh, and I just took, honestly, I took like little bits of leftovers of mezcal samples I had and I put them in a jar. And then I took different buds of weed during harvest season <laughs> and put them in that jar. It's like your and infinity I, bottle, but better. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just let it sit in a dark place for months and it naturally decarbs in alcohol. And I end up with a nice green mezcal, which is infused with a lot of the health benefits from the cannabis, you know, grown in the soil under the sun in my garden. So uh, that's good. And Obviously it tastes organic. nice. It is organic. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's nice to sip on. I mean, it, it doesn't get you like super high, just like a nice little gentle effect. You don't want to drink too much of it. I learned like not just to drink a nudge. too much. Yeah. Yeah. If you've ever had too much cannabis mezcal, you know what I'm talking about. You'll be high for like 30 hours, which Whoa. You know, that can be fun terrifying. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was be like, it, it would like, ex- like the alcohol would extract or intensify the THC in the, in the weed. Is that what we're, is that what we're hypothesizing right now? Or what do we think? No, I think it's more that when you're drinking an infused mezcal, you don't, you know, if it's infused, that's one thing. If it's distilled with, that's another thing. And then many of us can drink a lot of mezcal. But -hmm. if it's infused, even, you know, whatever degree, if you drink a lot of mezcal like normal and you're having all that THC, then you're also dehydrating yourself double because you have alcohol and THC. Mm. And it can just be... When you consume it rather than like smoking or vaping, it just uh, interacts with our endocannabinoid systems differently and everyone metabolizes it differently, but um, it's easy to overdo. Why is it that everybody who talks about mezcal and weed are very smart and you sound even smarter, like doubled up? I mean, there's a huge connection between mezcal and between agave and cannabis. It's not even like, 
you know, weed that we smoke and mezcal, but between agave and cannabis, there's so much connection in so many different levels. And I think that, um, you know, it's a project I'm working on disseminating a little bit this year. And I think other people are starting to think about it in those terms as well. That wasn't really an answer to your question. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, it was and it wasn't. So that was amazing. Well, not that not that we're encouraging our listeners to go do this at home, but if someone was to do a green mezcal project as well, um, like how much liquid did you start with? How many buds were in there? <laughs> like, yeah, we're are, talking solid to liquid composition. <laughs> Yeah. So not yeah. that we're encouraging anyone to try not this. That, no, no, no. Not that we're not telling people to go. But out if and do there this. was a solid <laughs> mass versus a liquid mass. Yeah. Um, so I I mean, it was really haphazard. It was just like my leftovers of everything. But um it was probably like half a liter of mm. liquid. And I would say um I don't know by weight, but like by volume, like if you put it in a measuring cup or something, like half a cup of. Oh, okay. so like of, a, like a tenner. Maybe a little, like three quarters of a cup, something like that. Uh, literally just like the buds that I would like cut the mold off of a stalk. And then there, you know, there's like little buds left over. And I, it, it's such a pain in the ass during harvest. Uh, you, I don't want to throw them away, but I also don't want to like process them. So you just throw them in the jar. So here's the thing that a lot of people don't know about me uh, when it comes to me. Uh, uh, When I was young, I attempted to be a drug dealer for weed and I was very, very bad at it because all my friends smoked weed and I also did. And so what I ended up doing mostly was just being a wholesaler (laughs) to all my friends and uh-huh. uh and uh i never i never really uh i never really got too far into it other than just saying like my my friends were upset when i stopped because i wasn't making any money yeah that tracks yeah yeah that i mean although that does like kind of set the tone for the rest of your career as a businessman and not making money so if Thank anything you're consistent god <laughs> damn it you walked right into it bud i'm sorry even all of our listeners knew this was coming. Like there's just, I, there's too much. No, too I don't much. Think that people know just how much shit you give me about like not being hyper capitalistic. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm here all to right. do. Well, okay. So back to, right. back to the Carrying person that on. we're actually, the, the person that we're actually trying to get to know. Um, okay. So, so Tess, you have, you have this project that you've been, that you're working on and you have been kind of doing this over, you know, the last, you know, I don't know how many years, but for, for a bit now, um, my introduction to you, uh, I believe was the Mescalistas, uh, story that you had done about Durango and taking a group of people to Durango. Now at the time when you did this, nobody was going to Durango, uh, there was, and there was also like only a few mezcals that, that you could kind of get your hands on, um, at that time as well, which my thought process has changed a little bit, but for a while there, it was kind of like, like, I haven't had a bad mezcal from Durango. It was kind of ridiculous, but there also just wasn't a lot coming out, you know, too. So we really were kind of getting the cream rising. And then now we do have a lot more expressions in there. And fortunately they continue to be for the most part, pretty rad, but 
um, you know, you make the transition from the wine world, which we kind of did some pre-talk about into the spirits world and exploring and kind of ended up in Oaxaca, which is a great place to do it. When it comes to not only being at kind of like the forefront of a lot of writing for, for Mezcal and stuff like that, but then to take it a step further and be like, okay, like Mezcal is still not the biggest thing in the world, but I'm going to go even more esoteric with it. And I'm going to go to Durango, which is not producing a ton of stuff. And in some people's eyes, a more, you know, dangerous place to, to visit. So how does, how does a trip like that come together? And we are going to talk about your book too. So don't worry, we're gonna come back to that as well. But I just want to, I want to, I want to set the tone for people and the type of person you are and the adventurous spirit that you have. And then also just the exposure that you're trying to bring to places that are producing amazing stuff, but don't have the same exposure. So how does Durango come together at that time? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the story of how I got to Durango, honestly, I, um, I made friends with, uh, a man named German and he is the owner of Lagrimas de Dolores, which a lot of people probably know if, if you're into mezcal or mezcal from Durango. And I met him, I actually met him in Oaxaca, but then I like met him again in New York and, um, he invited me to Durango and he was like, come, come, come to Durango. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I will. I will. And I never did. And then someone was putting together a trip and (laughs) I called to invite myself on the trip. Um, And they were like, I don't know if we have room. And I was like, Herman, I don't know if there's going to be room. And he's like, yeah, you're coming. There's room. You can stay with me if there's not room. So I went and on that trip, it was kind of like we were talking about before um, our pre-talk. It was the first you know, so there is this special kind of magic when it's the first time that a trip comes together. And mm-hmm. it's honestly a lot of learning as you go. There's a lot of things that could be improved next time. And many trips do not make it past their first iteration. Right. And um, on this trip, I really connected with, I'd met her previously, but I connected with Farron Salniker. Um, and we got together and we're talking, we're like, yo, Durango's cool. There's all these women in charge and we would love to do a trip for like adults where there's like hot water and good internet and like cute food and like nice accommodations, not something a little bit different than the classic bartender bro trip, which is really designed for like 20 something year old boys who can stay up all night and get plastered and like take a cold shower in the morning and be ready to go. And we're like, "Mm, yeah, that's not where we are in our life. Um, So what if we had like a nice experience where we paid the producers that we visit instead of just showing up and being like, we're important bartenders, give us things for free. Um, So we, we put a lot of thought into it and, uh, and developed it in that way. Um, so it was really born out of wanting to do a trip that would be comfortable and fun, um, for all kinds of people. And it was based on the connections that I made there with really cool people. Um, and especially women who were in charge. It's always hard for me to ethically justify doing mezcal tourism. Um, And one of the ways that I can get to a place where I'm comfortable with it is by having those close connections with members of the community. Why is that? Why do you you think that you you struggle with mezcal tourism? 
I think it's it's a it's a complex issue, you know. The there's a fine line between appreciation and appropriation and extracting culture and and enriching your own cultural perspectives. Um and I think that especially coming from like a spirits trip mentality. I mean, I've been I've been on press trips and I've been on trade trips all over the world and they're fun and I'm spoiled. You know, like when Jameson flies you first class to like party with the master distiller and blender, you know, you don't want to pay for your own trip and like stay in a shitty hotel. Like, um, but when we're talking about mezcal, you know, we're visiting all kinds of places. And even though that culture is not there being like, Hey, we want to pay you for your service. Um, that has to come from us. There's no blueprint. So it, it's more, it's tricky for me because I feel like we have to reinvent the wheel a little bit with spirit trips when we're talking about mezcal, just to make sure that it's equitable and we're not being extractive. Um, and also, you know, on a personal level, like I don't necessarily want to like get rich off of schlepping bartenders to Mexico if it's going to alter the the culture of where we're going necessarily, unless it's in like a really intentional, consensual, informed way. I so think that's this is, uh, like the consensual and informed and uh, intentional is very key. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about like, let's say Cuba um, when everybody's very worried about um, like Walgreens and Starbucks ending up in Cuba, right? Like that's, that's less of a, a consensual method of, of, I don't, I don't know what the term is like, like uh, uh, endowing with, with dollars versus, you know, allowing people to show up and enriching the population that already exists versus like taking that money and giving it to expats. Right. So, so we're going to, we're going to step on a little bit of the book right now because of just the topic uh, at hand. And um, you know, one of the things that, that we've been, that you were talking about is like, Hey, the, the book's going really well. Um, even though you're not necessarily like the biggest cheerleader and outspoken about it because you're not a psychopath. And that's unfortunately you have to be a little bit of a psychopath to be that, you know, into yourself. One of the things though, that I learned about the book as I was reading it via your Instagram was that you had actually reached out to native Oaxacans and had them review parts of the book. Um, in order and you know it, it, and again like i'm i'm kind of just pulling from just like a few like shared posts and things like that because uh there's definitely some very outspoken colleagues of ours who you know at times even for myself who has just beat the drum for for mezcal for the better part of you know the last eight years and and trying to promote as many positive things and and, and all that still makes me feel like a colonizer at times where I'm kind of like, I was like, man, it doesn't matter what I do. Like I'm part of the problem. Right. Um, when it came to approaching native Oaxacans and other natives to Mexico that were, that are producing and things like that, what was your mindset? And then how, how is that informed? Like how you went about the book and, um, you know, again, trying to trying to kind of check some of those boxes that you were talking about in terms of, you know, more consensual relationship when, 
you know, all of everything in this book is about Mexico, right? So how do you balance that? And what was, what was it like approaching people kind of being like, what were you looking for when you, when you brought it to them? Yeah. Thank you for that question. Um, for me, there were a couple of things. One is it's really, really important for me that anything I put in writing about uh, Native, Indigenous, Oaxacan culture or population was reviewed by one or more people from that culture who were informed um, about you know the so-called mezcal industry. That was hugely important to me, and um, that. It, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in being in community with Native Oaxacan people. Um, it's something that, you know, I've put energy and intention behind and I show up to difficult conversations. I relate to what you're saying, feeling like part of the problem. And everyone I talk to who is guided by some sort of like ethical sense has these thoughts and feelings all the time. And it's not an issue that you check off and resolve. It's something that you continually have to interface with and not just alone, but in community, in community with uh, you know people like us who are on the same side of it and then people who are on the opposite side of it. And there are different opinions. Um, learning how to not be defensive is really central to being able to have those conversations and actually listen. Um, one of the things that I also was very careful about in the book is to not get into deep history because it's still controversial for, I think, you know, for some reasons, let's just say, um, and instead really make a strong reference section in the back of the book so that you can read history and mythology from people who are of those cultures. It's not for me to talk about the myth of Mayoel, right? Like, go read it from someone who comes from that culture. Um, and that's something that I think is really easy to misstep on. And hopefully I make it look easy and attainable, but it's a lot of years of work. And I have a lot of privilege and legs up to get me to this point. You know, I'm bilingual, which is a really big help. Um, and I grew up with not only Mexican culture, but I grew up learning about and immersing myself or being immersed in the many different indigenous cultures of Central and South America. So I have some cultural context and reference. Um, but honestly, my advice to anyone who, you know, is working on similar things or wants to interface or have the input of um, people if they're writing about a culture that's not their own is, you know, you got to approach people with respect. Definitely be willing to pay people's full rates. This is emotional labor for people. You know, if, if you're from Matatlan and you're, you're dealing with the uh, social and, and environmental issues and someone wants you to like comment and make sure that you're doing it in like the quote unquote woke way, like pay them, you know, and be happy about it and like shout them out for their good work. Um, so, yeah. No, I think, I think that's great. I mean, I think the, the, the comment about like continuing interface and just kind of knowing that just because you've had the conversation once doesn't mean you're done. Like you do have to continue to, to have it over and over again. And and it's hard. Like it, it is hard to kind of see some of the commentary and just kind of be like, man, you know, at times you feel like the most welcome person. And then at times you feel like the least welcome 
person. And I get it. I get it from both sides. Like I, you know, I want to, um, I mean, even, so I did a Mezcal dinner on Friday night and, uh, you know, I've done a healthy amount of these and there was this guy that was there, um, who, you know, was, was Mexican. And I guess when we ended up like really hitting it off with each other, we we're talking back and forth. And at, like during the presentation, he would ask me some more like technical questions and whatnot. And I just like, Oh, this is a really, really great interaction. Well, it turns out at the very end of the night, I'm talking to the GM of the restaurant and he was like, I was like, Oh yeah, that guy at the very beginning was like, you know, who's this fucking white guy talking about Mezcal, you know, it's like, and then now of course he didn't, he, he phrased it much worse than that. Uh, but it was, it was something that, you know, I had no idea, but fortunately was able to kind of earn his respect just because of the time and effort that I put in, but I get it. And, and now I know for myself, my presentations now start with, I am a guest in this culture. Right. And I think being able to emphasize that as much as possible and, and, and in your book, you know, the way that you start off, especially the Mezcal section is like, you know, it's like, Hey, five years ago, I knew all these different brands. Like I, you know, when things would come in, like now it's at this pace that you just can't keep up with. And I know that I get approached with brands constantly. I'm sure you do as well. Um, kind of bringing this, bringing this, you know, to bring people to either to the Palenques or Vianatos or whatever the case may be. But, um, but I think it's really cool that, you know, it's, it's something that it's a conversation that, you know, we, it's not comfortable, but I'm glad that people are having it. And I would, you know, and I, but I love the fact that you're kind of like, this is something that you just have to continue to do. If you want to operate in this space, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. Yes. And, and just, you know, for anyone else who's feeling that, like also know that there are going to be people like that guy at your presentation that are not going to come around. There are right. people who don't like me being in the space regardless of what my articles say, regardless of what my books say, regardless of my values. And I understand that and I respect it. Yeah. Yeah. Tess, and do, you're you, just... do you, do you think that there's people who are writing books right now, um, either like within the last like four years or, or less <clears throat> who aren't respectful of that? Do you, do you think that there are people who, who don't feel like they're guests, but like feel like they're owning the space? I think that it's probably less common in like, I'll say academia among like journalists and authors. I think that it's more common among um, brands, you know, brand owners, brand ambassadors, bartenders who like kind of get um, romanticized by brands. Um, And then I think that there's a lot of like white saviorism in the like philanthropy space when it comes to mezcal. God damn it. That's an amazing point. Both of those, both the brands and, and the, and the sort of like the nonprofit side. God bless you. That's fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think there, there is a lot of that, like the, the white knight syndrome and stuff. And there's a, there's a group chat that I'm a part of um, where I realized a long time ago, it's a lot of people who are coming into Mezcal and we're at where I was, you know, six, seven years ago. And they were sharing a picture of um of a uh oh my god of a humidor cutting the base of an agave but using a chainsaw right and the comment was basically like oh uh has anyone ever seen this before like you know i i was under the impression that 
most producers don't want to have gas or anything near their production. And I just was like, by producers, do you mean agave enthusiast? You know, right. That's, that's who's really saying this. And, and one of the things that I say on this show a lot is, um, you know, preserve or preserving tradition is often a disguise for preserving poverty. And, um, it's just something that, you know, again, it's just kind of like, it's like, you guys, have you ever seen a pina get taken out of the ground? Like, Oh my God, it is brutal. Let the man use a goddamn chainsaw. Like (laughs) what are we doing here? So, so I do think there's a lot of, you know, there still is a lot of that, that commentary on it where, I, I mean, it's, it's good. It's good to hear that you don't see it on your level with that academic approach, but for sure you spend six minutes in any Mezcal group on Facebook and you're just kind of like, Oh my God, I cannot believe the things that are said with such confidence. You know, it just blows my mind every single most, time. Most of us have been there though, right? Like didn't most of us, when we really understood what artisanal Mezcal was, like, didn't we have our soapbox days until 100%, someone hopefully 100%. kindly like talked us off the ledge and was like, actually, Yes. These people should have sovereignty, not bend to whatever your romantic idea of culture is. I totally, I totally agree. And I, and I do my best to, to keep that in mind because it's like, it's like, yeah, you, you do everybody, everybody, especially in this space is going to have their soapbox, you know, tenure. It's just like the ones that I know that have been in for too long. And I'm like, you need to get off this box. Like, yeah, you, 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 there's, you know, too much to still say the things that that you say and stuff. And and I will say, I think there has been, you know, kind of a bit of a market correction on a few of these people too, where it was like there were some prominent voices in the space three to five years ago that just aren't anymore. And mm-hmm. people have really seen through it. And of course, there's people who haven't seen through it, but it's kind of like whatever. Like there's there's enough space, you know, to act. But um, but yeah, it just kind of kind of cracks me up still. Um, all right, so let's let's get into the the book itself. So again, for uh, our listeners, the book is called The Essential Tequila and Mezcal Companion. This book just came out a month and a half ago, two months ago. Came out a month ago, almost the day. Almost the day. Okay, so um, if you haven't bought it yet, get out there, buy it, so we can keep pumping those numbers up and uh, and you know making making Tess and her ego feel great. Um, so as I went through it, what I love about it is like, this is just a great reference book. Um, you know, to your point of what you were talking about, like, this is not a situation of you throwing out a bunch of opinions on how things should be done, which has definitely been the case in past agave books that I've read. And that was kind of, I don't know, again, I don't know what I was expecting, but I, I just was like, I was like, Oh, is this going to fall into the line of like, what am I going to disagree with Tess on, on this? And it wasn't that it was just like, Matter of fact, these are how things go with also the caveat of, by the way, this is constantly changing. Go check out these websites for the most recent, you know, <laughs> information. Yeah. So, so who knows? <laughs> so when it comes to putting together a book like this, you know, we talked about you taking this to native Oaxacans and, and other native uh, and indigenous Mexicans. Like what are, what are some of the other things that you're doing just to make sure that you get it right? I mean, a shitload of editing. Um, you know, there's there's different portions of the book. It's it's divided up into like an intro section, which I really wanted to synthesize a ton of the knowledge that I have acquired and information that I have acquired over the last decade and taking into account the most common questions that I get when I'm doing classes or, 
even things like staff trainings. Like I really designed that intro portion to be, you know, on the shelf of any agave bar, right? Like you can use this as a staff training manual, essentially. You can pick mm-hmm. and choose from it. Um, and then also, you know, stuff for people who are just enthusiasts, like how to pair, how to set up your own tasting. Um, and then the meat of the book is really these producer profiles with individual spirit reviews. Um, and there's, I think, just over 300 individual spirit reviews, so a lot. So it was intense tasting a lot of tasting every day. Um, I do a lot of tasting for work in general, so it's a skill that I have. Um, but it was intense. It was really intense. And I still have like bottles everywhere. Um, well, bottles have taken over my home. I, I, and I'll say this, like you, so, you know, you go through it and my takeaways from the tastings were, you know, you, it, it seemed like in the tequila world, you're pretty fond of reposados. Like there was a lot of, there was a lot of five pointers. At least there wasn't a row where I started to notice it, where I just was like, oh, and here's another five for a repo. Here's another five for a repo. So I was yeah, surprised that- by that. I was surprised. I'm a Blanco girl, you know? Yeah. But some of these Reposado special editions out here are unbelievably good. I, I think, I think part of it also is like, if you're an agave purist, you're kind of expecting the Reposado to maybe like not be as good. And when it is, right. it makes it that much better. I've always been on the in the position where I say that the reposado is the perfect uh, marriage of of agriculture and hand of the maker, right? Añejo is pretty much all hand of the maker. Blanco is is a lot of it is is agriculture. Reposado is this great marriage between the two. And, and that's where I found a lot of enjoyment in my life as well. I typically, I'm, I'm a Blanco guy myself. Like that's what I consume on a regular basis, but it's, it's very rare that I go to Añejos. It's more likely that I go to Reposados and the like really exceptional ones. Yeah. Totally, totally Totally. agree with that. Now, now moving from there, then we get into Mezcals and I got to tell you, because this is gotcha journalism that we do here on the Good Bottle Podcast. <laughs> I feel like you kind of you kind of took the easy way out on the mezcal ratings. I and I yeah. and and just to be clear, I totally agree with what you said in avoiding giving those ratings because they are so vastly different and they push your palate in ways that are just absolutely absurd. So I get it, but I was like as you're going through the book and you're like you're like, "Oh my god, so Okay, so like she likes that one, and I don't like that one. But then I like this one, and she also likes that one. And then it was like, then I was like, I can't wait to get to the mezcal section. I was like, I'm not going to do it. You're like, no. I was so ready I to can see where we're at. So now, basically, what I'm going to do is like, I'm just going to like, I'll just like send you an email. But like, okay, here's my ratings on all these ones. So you have to compare <laughs> those back and forth. So. I mean, okay. So for any listeners who don't know what we're talking about, for the tequila entries, I give a one to five star rating. And for Mezcal, I decided after I had given them all ratings, all of them got ratings initially, and one editing pass, I was like, you know what? I do not want to include star ratings because I know that in one way, like in the US or international agave industry, I am considered an expert. But I also need to be authentic to myself 
And I am not an expert when I think of myself next to all the people who I know who actually are experts who have been making mezcal for seven generations and grew up in palenques and vinatas. And I think what really did it for me is I was thinking about other spirit categories that I don't know as well, but that I've gotten to know, like Baijo. I've gotten to know Baijo well, relatively well, probably better than most people in this country over the last, um, I don't know, five plus years working at Ultimate Spirits Challenge. And there are flavors that I could not appreciate for years, but now I can appreciate them. And there are new flavors coming out in Agave Spirits that I haven't tried before. So how can I say that I am the arbiter of what's good and what's not when, you know, a lot of these mezcals it's are not to be judged by like some white lady in upstate New York. Like that's not, this is art. <laughs> it belongs in the museum or like appreciated in your glass. But like, you know, I did, however, because I know, I know how you feel. And my dad said the same thing. Um, Ooh, good company. Yeah. <laughs> but I did try and give a little bit of my personal opinion through my description, you know, and Mm -hmm. I do feel like if you've read some of the other reviews and like, you know, I try and like, yeah, Yeah. I try and make it so you can read between the lines a little bit. I got to tell you, like, this is one of my favorite takes that we've ever heard on the good bottle podcast, because, you know, one of my biggest gripes with, influencers and people who have these platforms is when they, when they do these reviews, it's like, who the fuck are you to judge these things? And, and I don't think that people truly understand the impact that they can have if they were to give something a bad rating and with them not knowing any better. Like I, I mean, I recently had an interaction with my distributor where we were showing a Bacanora to an account and the account really loved it and was given all these different notes on it and things like that. And then we walk out and the, you know, they're like, well, I just, I never would have described it like that. You know, everybody at the office doesn't, doesn't like it. And I'm like, well, to be fair, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So why are you guys passing judgment on these things? And, and I've gotten into these like online arguments with some of these people where it's just kind of like, I was just I was like, like, who are you to give, three stars or three barrels or whatever the hell your stupid rating system is. It's like when you've had two, you've had two of this right. type of agave before, like right. get out of here, you know? So, so I totally understand it. And I love the fact that that's something that you recognize through the process, because I think it's really hard, you know, to check, kind of check your ego in this situation because you have had a lot of exposure and more than most, but to kind of, to bring it back and to be like, hey, I'm. We're gonna take a step back, and we're we're gonna let these we're we're gonna let these producers cook, right? Like, let's just let them cook, and let people find out and and see if they want to go out and do it. So I think that's just. I just want to commend you for that because that's awesome. I love. Thank that. you. I I mean, I did want to add a little something. I wanted to show that my my companions and colleagues in the spirits industry that um, we can give mezcal the accommodations that it requests and requires because it is so special. You know, we can just adjust a little bit the way that we typically interact with spirits and it's okay. Right. Right. No, I, I love it. And then, so then, you know, from that section, you know, we move into, we move into cocktails and one of, you know, the cool things about your cocktail section is you really share the forum. So you have, you know, bartenders from all over 
making different drinks and you're featuring them. You're giving a little snippet on that person and, and, and on that, you know, uh, how, how did you go about that? Like what, what's that conversation? Like you just hit someone up and be like, Hey, I need a really good cocktail for, for Mezcal. Or did you get exposed to that cocktail and be like, this is going in my book. What was that? How did that work out for you? Um, so the cocktail section was necessary. Um, and you know, I've been teaching cocktail classes, like basic cocktail classes for a while. And like, cool. You know, I do not consider myself a mixologist. Can I make good cocktails? Yeah, absolutely. Have I managed beverage programs? Yep. Um, am I really passionate about it? Am I doing innovative groundbreaking things with cocktails? No, I'm not. And I have friends who are and who take it really seriously and do things that are way better than I would ever come up with. And I thought this is an opportunity for me to give a platform to you know, honestly, my young Mexican friends, um, who are doing cool things and I want to feature them in my book. I want to feature them because they are the leaders of the new wave of, of, uh, agave cocktails in, in the U S. So, um, that's, that was my idea. So I reached out to some of my favorite bartenders and asked them to contribute a cocktail of their choice. And I'm really, really happy with the results. By far, my favorite section, my favorite part of the cocktail section is the contributions from these really talented people. And I could have gone in a more obvious direction and gotten like big name contributions. Like I know enough people in the industry where I could have gotten like 10 names that would sell hundreds of copies on their own. But I wanted to put a spotlight on the people that I know from my communities that are doing really cool things that, you know, um, I just feel like, you know, share, share the love, share the platform and uh, really high quality drinks as well. Yeah. So you have um, one of them that, that jumped out to me was was uh, Time in Tulum with former guest uh, Bryant right here. So yes. um, uh, Bryant is one of our favorite outspoken um polke advisors so love brian yeah he and he was he was such an amazing guest so for our listeners if you go back and listen to brian's episode it was it was great um so that actually that actually kind of like sets me up for you know just only a few more questions but you know throughout this book writing process throughout all of your writing and things like that you know you could tell that it's important for you to amplify amplify voices that typically don't get that amplification so for our listeners you know we we do have a heavy um you know industry listening i think ratio probably uh who knows yeah who knows we 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 have some we have some normies too but um but when it comes to amplifying these voices what's what's your advice to, to people in our industry people outside of our industry like how can people you know outside of going and writing their own book, what are some of the ways do you, that you think that you've seen people amplify voices that have really stuck with you, really resonate with you and, you know, could, could potentially be replicated. I think that that work starts individually and inwardly. It's like part of the personal decolonizing journey, because if we try and, center or uplift voices without doing that work, we end up tokenizing, which is yucky. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And hopefully we all have people in our communities who will lovingly point that out to us so that we can adjust. But it's a lot of like checking yourself and then um, building community, building community with people, not just when you need something, not just when you want something, not just when it benefits you, but showing up for other people, learning, reading. Um, And then once you have, once you're in community with those people and you're acting authentically is when you are in a position to actually center and elevate those voices. Um, If you try and do that before you've done that groundwork, it usually doesn't work out so well. So go back. So what do you mean? What do you mean by show up? I, so, I hear the term, term thrown around a lot. Like, what does it mean to show up for someone? For me, it means a lot of different things. It means if there's a mutual aid request, then contribute what I can. You know, if it's like $5, then it's $5. Um, if it's $3, it's $3. If it's $30, you know, whatever you have, like participating in mutual aid, I think is really important. Um, I think also simple things like attending someone's seminar um, you know, just being literally showing up to someone's event or to listen to them speak, to listen to their podcast, send a message and be like, Hey, I heard you. This was really great. Or I learned this, you know, interacting with people without asking anything of them just to form a connection is the first step. That's what I mean by showing up. That's right. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's great. I mean, that's, um, you know, and it's something that, I know I'm trying to be better about, and I know Chris is something that is always, we, we're always trying to work on this and be like, okay, so we're two white guys who have a deep affection for Roman agave. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it, yeah. it's like trying to, trying to make sure that we're not tokenizing people and, and things like that and not treating it as a, um, you know, some sort of like clout grabbing and stuff. It's like, I mean, again, at the end of the day, we want to talk to people on, on this podcast that, that we have a tremendous amount of respect for that. We're really excited to talk about. And then that we're always going to learn something, which, you know, uh, I know for myself and I, and I'm pretty confident our listeners will feel the same way. Like this has been an awesome conversation so far and really, really appreciate kind of having the through line of the book, but being able to talk about, all these different things and, and stuff like that. So, um, so to kind of wrap up this part of, of the podcast, um, future projects, what are you excited about? You know, what are you looking at? Now we know that you're trying to be a like weed stoner, liquid alchemist type person. We've, we've established that, but, um, <laughs> what, what are some of the other projects that you're excited about or what are some of the the things that maybe that you would like to, to get involved in that, um, that, that might be potentially on the horizon for, for you and your writing? Yeah. Um, you know, definitely exploring the cannabis agave connection for sure. I, I love weed. Like I, I work in cannabis as well. Like I'm a big advocate for weed. Um, And, uh, I think that, you know, I am toying with the idea of doing some more tours, uh, to mezcal producing regions. Nothing is set in stone yet, but I am looking to revive some trips to Durango and add Puebla. Um, so that could be fun to look for in the future. 
Um, and then, you know, I've been having a lot of fun in writing, just kind of staying in my lane, focusing on flavors, pairings, things like that, uh, keeping it kind of light. Um, and I've been doing a lot of in-person events, educational events, which is just a lot of fun and a great way to connect to people who are just getting into agave spirits. Um, so that's that's what I have on deck for my agave related work. I love it. I love it. And then um and we'll get into like where people can find like some of some of your other work and and stuff like that. But Chris, should we do one story or should we just do dope follows? What do you think? One? We're gonna do one. Okay. Um so now it's time for our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay, so the thing that we're going to talk about is actually how smart packaging is winning the war against counterfeit alcohol. Um, over the last couple of years, there have been lots of issues when it came to counterfeit uh, alcohol, and it's manifested itself in a few different ways. So one of them is just fake packaging in general um, and selling high-priced bottles that are actually not what it says it's in, in the actual bottle itself. Um, there are issues of the contents being actually poisonous for people and unsafe to drink. So there are all these different methods from QR codes to um, like special seals that are on it that can, you know, if you see it broken, you know that it's no longer legit. Um, it, and it seems like it's working out in favor of people drinking safe alcohol and then also buying legitimate alcohol as well when it comes to more of like collector's items and, and things of that nature. Um, so, so Tess, we'll, we'll start with you, uh, reading through this article. I mean, is there, are there things that you would like to see more of in this space? Um, there was mention of some people unfortunately being poisoned by some dissolutes down in Mexico last year, which I feel like is a little bit of a different scenario than was kind of being lined out here throughout this article. But it's still, you know, part of the overall problem. I mean, what, what were your thoughts on the article? Do you have anything that you would like to add just in terms of in interpreting it? Yeah, I think the the thing that stuck out for me from the article was the digital tracking options, um, which seem to be a better solution than options that involve like a physical anything on a bottle or packaging. Um, if it's just tracked digitally, what it made me think of is the inevitable um, working with blockchain technology for things like spirits. And not only does that solve sort of like the tracking and counterfeit issues, but I think that it also opens up the door. And the article did mention this very briefly, but it opens up the door to other benefits like being directly connected with your consumers and essentially like forming a club with whoever buys that product, which is marked on the blockchain um, or digitally tracked. If the word blockchain scrambles your brain, you can just say digitally tracked. It's fine. Um, but, you know, that opens the door for things like if you're a part of our community because you buy these products, then maybe you're first in line to get allocated products from us. Or, you know, I don't think we're that far off from a company using this technology to form a community and then like 
that's who gets invited to Oaxaca for the annual reforestation trip where you plant hijuelos and get drunk. You know, um, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I just think that's where we're headed. Mm-hmm. I think that's, so that's yeah. what it made me think of. <laughs> Chris, what do you think? You know, I, I, the part that stuck out to me was the RFIDs, the uh, radio fre- frequency ID. And I thought that this was a fantastic concept um, in, on, on face value, but really when thinking about it more, it's like, it, this is just a physical product that is attached to every bottle. Emptying a bottle and refilling it is essentially the same thing, right? As like just reading a label. It, it's a really great concept. I feel like this is a great beta version. I think that, that eventually this will, will get workshopped out and, and, and it will become a little bit more foolproof. But right now it just kind of falls into the same lines because essentially all you're doing is tracking the bottle. You're not tracking the juice that's inside. And I'm a little terrified of microorganisms being tracked inside of liquid. Uh, and I'm, I'm a little bit, of that might be where the the industry kind of heads but i'm i will say i'm really fascinated from a from a academia standpoint of of like watching all of this unfold There's, there's a really interesting problem at hand that no one seems to have a grasp on how to handle and it's it's been at least from someone who just is of the privilege of consuming good spirits and not really being too worried about what it is that I'm, you know, able, able to get my hands on. Uh, I'm not like going out of my way to, to get rare spirits as of right now. And I, uh, I, I don't really have to worry about it. So I, I don't have to like resell anything, you know, and that's, that's not a thing that I have to be worried about. So I don't know. There, there is a, there's a problem and a bucket that's being kicked down the lane right now. And I can see it formulating and it's a, it's a real issue. I'm not right now in the problem of reselling wine. There are people in there. I'm not that. So for me, it's more of an academic interest. I think that makes sense. Um, it's a lot of words that you just used. That's for sure. That's Hopefully what I people do. Didn't gla- Hopefully people didn't glaze over too much. Uh, Sorry, everybody. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, again, this is uh, it's 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 a problem that that we're having on multiple fronts when it comes to you know counterfeit and fraud and then things of that nature. I mean, you know, you think about uh, there's like multiple documentaries now just on like bottles falling off of trucks as well, and um, also people buying tons and tons of you know allocated tequila and bourbon on stolen credit cards. So there's a lot of different levels of, you know, just like fraud and, and, and whatnot. So, I mean, I think uh, when it comes to, you know, when it comes to like traveling and things like that, and maybe I'm going to shift the gears a little bit on this one, but Tess, let me ask you this. Like you've, you've got to travel to a lot of like really cool and unique places just all around the world. Has there, has there, have there ever been a situation where you look at something you're kind of like, I don't think I'm going to drink that. Like, I think I'm going to let that one go. Is, does anything come to mind? Uh, cause I'm just thinking like the other day I was looking at some old pictures when I was down in Michoacan. I was like, 
and it was it was of the fermentation, so it's not like you drink that liquid. But I just was like, yeah. And then eventually you drink that liquid, and it looks horrible. Like, is there anything that you've seen in your travels where you're kind of like, that's maybe not the safest thing in the world to drink, um, but you did it anyways, or maybe you did pass? I mean, I definitely drank from a fermentation tank where someone was barefoot in it, you know. Oh, um <laughs> And I was fine. That did not hurt me at all. But like, I'm also the person who will like eat the tacos in a small town where I have no business eating. I'll like put the cilantro and cebolla on it and I'll get sick. So like, I'm not a good judge of that. But um, not really, honestly, with with spirits, I've been um, pretty fortunate. I mean, there have been some things I've tasted that have accidentally spilled out of my cup. Um, but, you know, I... <laughs> I've been really fortunate to be um, at the source with mostly people who take a lot of pride in what they're drinking and they're often drinking it alongside me. So, you know, I don't worry too much. So am, am I crazy in thinking that a lot of the counterfeiting issues really is sort of like a first world, first world issue? Or are we looking at, at something that's that's a little bit more... I don't know, a l- little bit more of an issue for for people who don't necessarily know what they're buying. Yeah, I think it's that. I think that um, maybe not what this article was referencing, but, you know, I don't, one of the reasons that I haven't had that situation is I don't buy stuff from sources I, that I can't verify. Like, it's not not anything against people in a market that I've never been to before, but if I've never been there and I have no idea what this product is and you're just selling it as mezcal and I have no idea what it is, like I'm probably not going to purchase it or ingest a lot of it. I think that there is still a very real risk. And this is really important for anyone who wants to travel um, that it's different when we talk about uncertified agave spirits that have been imported and are being served at like fancy mezcal bars, then like, anything referred to mezcal in when you're, you know, on the ground in Mexico, there are absolutely still bad actors. There are absolutely people who are, you know, using not agave spirit in what they're calling and selling as agave spirit. And sometimes it can be dangerous. So I think purchasing from reputable sources is really important. And a good use of reputable sources. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Stepping right back into that. Yeah. Full um, circle. That went yeah, that totally went that totally went full circle. Um, is there any other technology that that either one of you guys have seen in another in another industry that you're kind of like, oh, that would make sense, you know, in in spirits? I mean, like like I said, we've we've kind of been flirting with like the NFT thing and it was referenced in this article as well, like having that virtual kind of verification that that bottle goes with this thing or it's changed hands even though the bottle's sitting at one place is there anything else that you guys have seen that you're kind of like oh here's a way to verify this thing that just kind of makes you kind of feel like oh yeah that was good or we just eventually just have to get to the point in our life where we'll have chips in us and we just scan bottles like oh yeah this is safe i think that's where we're headed i think it's going to be nfts blockchain dominated for security but i think that the other fringe benefits i think it'll be like introduced as a security thing but the other fringe benefits will be such a great marketing tool that they'll just take hold and not leave yeah chris what about you yeah that's where i'm at too and that's what i was attempting to 
to get to earlier, which is like, I'm terrified of the idea of things being introduced into the liquid as identifying sources. Uh, there's so much more negative that can happen to that versus me just going, well, let's just see how this tastes. And if it's real, you know, like 40 bucks for me, like getting something that's fraudulent versus like having all of my information sold everywhere else and people making a lot of money off of collecting my data is a lot more scary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's move on to my favorite section. You know who's dope? Them over there. And now it's time for the dope follows. These could be anything that we think is dope. Podcasts, people, Instagram accounts, articles, books, all kinds of fun stuff. Just things that we think are dope that people should be checking out. So, Tess, you're kicking it off for us. Who is your dope follow? Who do our listeners need to invest some time in? Okay, I have three, and I'll go through them really quickly. You don't have to go through three. We're, we're good. Take your time. Let's, let's, let's okay, get into okay. it. Three of them. This is a new record. So, I think three is the record now. For this season. For this season. I'm extra. Okay. I can't help it. So, um, <laughs> for Instagram, this is like, this is going to offend some people. And, you know, if it offends you, then like, don't follow them. I don't know what to say. But it's like, on the line. It's not politically correct. It's, we were saying earlier, you know, we're degenerate. So, if you're a degenerate then you might like this account. I don't know who's behind it, but it's called All Syrup Super Squishy on Instagram. And the um, it's a picture of Bart Simpson. So that's how you'll know. <laughs> All, All syrup. syrup Super Squishy. Oh my gosh, and, okay. you know, not everything is yeah. to my taste. No squeezing every the now juice. And then, every now oh, and then good. there's something and it's just really fucking hilarious. But again, if you're easily offended... I would recommend not following. Um, and if you're offended, I take no responsibility. That's on you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my next one is a book. And it came out in 2019. So it's not super new, but it's really, really good. Highly recommend it. It's on Audible as well, if you like listening rather than reading. It's called Sand Talk. And um, it's called Sand Talk, How Indigenous Thinking Can Save the World. And it's by uh, um, a man, I'm get, probably going to butcher his name, and I feel bad, but his name is Tyson Yunkaporta. And it's an excellent, excellent book. Highly recommend it to everyone. It's great. Um, and my third one is an app. And this is Ooh. for anyone who's listening who might have an interest in astrology. I'm really into astrology. Uh, I do readings for friends and family. So uh, it's called Astro Future. And it's a really good astrology app. And there's a free version. And if you like astrology, you're going to dig it. Check it out. I love it. We don't think we've ever gotten an app recommendation before. It's true. It's our first one. This is great. Nice. This is going to start the floodgates. All Five of our seasons in. Forward. And you did it. Five seasons in. You're the first. <laughs> yeah. Those are great. Okay. So just to, so all syrup, super squishy Instagram account, sand talk, the book also available on audible and then Astro future. You got it. Got them. Perfect. Okay. So we're going to check out all those. Chris, 
Who's your dope follow this week? Uh, mine is a uh, feel good uh, on Ooh. Instagram. Surprise, surprise. Everybody who knows me. Uh, mine is uh, Johanna Quas. Uh, she is a 96 year old gymnast in Germany or Austria. Forgive me. Sorry, Johanna. I didn't mean to uh, disappoint you. I, I forgot. Terrible. Yeah, but Terrible. she's amazing. You should all watch her. It makes me feel good and also really lazy because she's far more fit than I am and she's twice my age. Plus, 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 plus. Fuck. God damn it. Anyway, it's amazing to watch her. She does parallel bars. She does floor exercises. It's incredible. I'm a lazy piece of shit. It's amazing. You should definitely watch. Johanna Quas. Check out our footnotes on our episode, and we'll throw that link in there. Oh, my gosh. That is good for you. Thanks. Um, Okay, so I'm going to build off of our conversation in terms of having the uncomfortable talks or, you know, just being uncomfortable with the conversation. And this is, this is somebody that I have like followed off and on over the last couple of years. I got introduced to her via, um, Oh my God. What was that app when we all just talked to each other? It was like a big game of telephone. Um, I know what you're talking oh. about. Oh man. Uh, at the beginning of, uh, beginning of the pandemic, beginning of the pandemic, I finally erased it off my phone. Uh, God damn it. Everybody was Clubhouse? convinced it was going to be Clubhouse. Clubhouse. That's what Everybody it was. was convinced yeah. it was going to be the next big thing. Yeah. 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 I think there's certain communities that it's still very big in, just for the record. Um, but it is something that I no longer, but I got introduced to her here. And then I would, you know, then I would check it on her Instagram and just feel really bad about being a white person involved in Mezcal. Uh, and that hasn't changed because she still goes hard in the paint. Um, and so, per the advice, of today's amazing guest, I am just going to be like, you know what? I'm not opting out anymore. I'm going to full on follow. I'm going to take it right on the chin because it's something that you need to be uncomfortable with. Because she also provides a lot of really amazing information and is definitely an advocate for Oaxaca. But that is going to be uh, Oaxaca the Talk, which is uh, Fabiola Santiago. Again, if you're a white person into Mezcal, she is going to make you feel really fucking terrible about it. So, uh, but informed, informed as well. Like, <laughs> yeah. yes, no, no, it's I, I not... second your dope follow. Fabiola is amazing. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, again, it's something that I've like opted in, opted out, opted in, and it's something that I'm just, I'm fully in. I'm refollowing. I think everyone else should go and follow her because she, she really does some amazing stuff. And again, like, I loved, and, and that's like the, the thing you think about, like back to the clubhouse days, where it's like you were able to have all this different nuance and conversation and stuff. And so you weren't able to assign your own feelings to things. Um, and so there was all that nuanced conversation. Like now, because it's more of the, uh, you know, you assign your own feelings, sometimes you take it a little bit more personal. So go and follow her. It's Oaxaca Talk. So uh, O A X A C the Talk. So Oaxaca Talk. Go check that out. But you know what? I think those are some pretty dope follows. Yeah. Super dope. The music for the Good Bob Luck podcast is orchestrated by Leon and Chase Moore and produced awkwardly by us two guys. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, we ask that you subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And share it with your friends. Please, please, please share it with your friends. Simple things like that make a huge difference for a podcast like ours. Uh, you can also follow us at the Good Bottle Podcast on both Instagram and on Facebook. You can follow our personal accounts. Chris is Chris Sinflair. I am D Garrison Six. Tess, if they want to find you on the interwebs and they want to read some of your articles, where are they going? Um, go to my website, palettrip.com, P-A-L-A-T-E-T-R-I-P.com. And That's I how have you spell links palette. there to yeah, I was I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I have a bunch of links there to um, a lot of different places where I write and different articles. So that's kind of the central hub where you can find what I'm up to. Very cool. Very cool. And then uh, Instagram. Instagram. I am Tess Rose 211. Awesome. Perfect. Uh, I don't think we have anything else. Plus, Chris forgot to send me the script, so I don't know what else to say at this point. As always, we would like to thank you for tuning in and listening to our buffoonery. If there is anyone you think we should talk to, reach out to us, and we'll make sure Drew gets his liquid courage up. Yeah, that's how I that's how I ask people tests. Is I I just drink a bunch and then I then I send the message. So you can be assured that that first (laughs) message was like. Oh, Drew was drinking again. So it was uh, it was, uh, was booze induced. Just know that you draw that out of him. It's necessary for I him to do that in order to talk to you. <laughs> it's an honor. <laughs> I can't even I can't even imagine what I'm gonna do when I have my first weed mezcal like that. So I've had I've had mezcal that was distilled with marijuana. Yeah. However, I haven't done an infused version. So is I'm it, really curious. Is it called to see Green how Dragon? If it's yes, if it's weed infused, sometimes it, it, is. it still is. Mm-hmm. Is that just like a general weed booze amalgamation? I heard it in the context of mezcal, so I always associated it with mezcal, but I just call it green mezcal because that's also how it was served to me in Oaxaca. Sounds like cool than green the Verde. Dragon. Green Dragon uh, yeah. sounds like you're trying too hard. A little bit. Anyway. I can't wait, Thank to, you, I can't wait to use that as a hashtag. <laughs> Green Dragon. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, thank you everyone. Please let us know uh, if there's anyone that you don't want us to talk to. We have so many fun guests lined up. We had a great guest tonight. Tess, thank you again. You were awesome. Uh, I've been building thank you guys this up. so much for having me. So much fun. Oh, no, you were amazing. It's, like I said, I've been building this up for years and you just lived up to the billing and then some. Uh, let us know what everybody thinks in the you know comment, share, all that fun stuff. And until next time, cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. I just badly want some green dragon now. <laughs> <laughs>